I turn your attention tonight to the book of Romans chapter 11 and we begin reading in verse 1. I want to say how excited I am about the tremendous things that God is doing. Thankful for three more that were baptized Sunday night. An entire family was baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. God has given us a great harvest and uh, I believe this is an important time. Uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday, uh, we'll be speaking uh, through two services uh, by way of uh, video Zoom and all the technology that we have nowadays. But we'll be speaking to the uh, country of Turkey in the name of Jesus. They're having revival in their homes. People are getting the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus' name. And uh, so we're uh, looking forward to that. And we believe that God's going to continue to allow us uh, to be able to take advantage of this opportunity and to reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 11 and verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Of course, Paul is writing this. He reminds them that indeed God has not cast away his people. God is still working in the midst of his people. Verse 2, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not, or know ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias. This referring to the Old Testament prophet Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. In other words, Lord, I know you wanted to save that people, but it looks like that's a, a lost cause. Every time you and I begin to think it's a lost cause, God has to remind us that he's still God. Verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Paul is telling us about an Old Testament story about when Elijah had uh, gone up against the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves and, and he felt like his life and his days were numbered because Queen Jezebel had put a bounty out on his head and he went and hid in a cave and he said, it's all over God, it's not going to happen, I'm the only one left and God said, I don't think so. I want to speak tonight on this subject, herd immunity, herd immunity. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we are thankful to be in your house tonight, thankful for the opportunity to look to your word. We pray, O oh God, that you would open up our hearts and minds and allow us to receive the word of God into our spirits. Let us be changed and let us be reminded that you are still the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is none like unto you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. When I first went to South Africa more than 20 years ago as a law school student on a on a work exchange program. I was fascinated with the country, with the people, and I was uh, amazed and fascinated with the opportunity that you have to 
to learn so much by watching uh, these amazing uh, animals and creatures that are a part of the safari and that roam uh, the savannas in this uh, beautiful land. It's interesting whenever you uh, are first exposed to this, since that time I've uh, taken people from our church over there, I've taken my family more than once, and, and it's always an eye-opening experience. But beyond just the beauty of the land, the beauty of the sunsets, beyond the, the powerful uh, revival, and uh, beyond even the natural uh, wonders of that land, there is something special about watching the creatures that God has created, these magnificent animals and how they interact with each other on the African savannas where the rules are only survival. The law of the jungle makes no exception. The predators rule the land with no appeal granted. Judgment is swift and quite vivid. I watched the lions lay in wait. They found tall grass and they watched a herd of gazelles. Gazelles are called the fast food of the African savanna, and yet their best defense is not necessarily their speed, but rather their numbers. If they stick together, they are seldom eliminated. But if one wanders away from the herd, they become vulnerable. One night, as we were on a night safari, we had been looking for lions and it had been difficult to find them, but we went out at night and and the guides had received a report that there uh, had been a kill, a lion had killed a zebra and was up in this certain area and we drove our uh, jeep up there and as uh, we got up to um, the site where the lion was still uh, eating the zebra, enjoying the spoils of victory, I I was quite concerned as uh, the driver pulled our Jeep up just like within two or three feet of the lion, a big male lion, and had been eating the zebra and his, and his stomach was, was quite bloated. And uh, he pulled right up on the side where I was sitting so I could almost literally reach out and touch him. And the guide explained that as long as we remain in the Jeep, the lion does not see us individually. He sees us as a collective unit that is bigger than he is. And as the guide explained that this particular zebra that had been killed had wandered from the herd, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the spiritual application of that, when this male lion, who was just a couple of feet from me, he let out a roar that would make your teeth chatter. It was something that I can't even try to replicate. And when he did, I, I felt the hairs on, stand up on the back of my neck, and I felt like perhaps this zebra was just an appetizer, and he was looking at me now for the main course. All I could think of was the scripture in 1 Peter 5 that says Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And at that moment I was pretty sure it was going to be me. The guide then very casually asked uh, the, the ones of us that were 
in the Jeep if we knew why the lion was roaring. I was pretty confident with my answer that he is sending us a warning not to mess with his food because I have uh, Labrador retrievers and as mild nature as they are, they still don't like when you get too close to their food, even though you are the one that gave them that food. And so as a result of that, I assumed that the lion was saying, don't mess with my zebra. No, the guide explained that actually the lion is roaring because he is stuffed. He has gorged himself with this meal and he is vulnerable. So he roars to give the appearance of strength when he is actually very weak at this moment. He is breathing heavy and he is in no position to fight. In that little five minute explanation, in the middle of Africa, in the middle of the night, I learned two very important things about the enemy of our soul, the accuser of the brethren, Satan that goes about as a roaring lion, seeking to devour you and I. But I am reminded that when he is roaring, he is really in a weakened state. And though the enemy may try to intimidate you, and though the enemy may be roaring in your life this night, I've come to tell you that actually he's very vulnerable because he knows what the book says. He knows his days are numbered. He knows he's already been defeated by the blood of the Lamb. So he wants to try to create an illusion that he's in charge, that he's powerful, that he's the king of the jungle. But I've come to tell you, he is not. He is in a weakened state. And our God is a mighty God. The second thing, and the more important thing for our discussion tonight, is that as long as you stay in the Jeep, the lion sees you collectively, not individually. The guide said, now, if you were to get out of this Jeep, or even to stand up and to separate from the silhouette of the Jeep, then the lion can distinguish that you are a separate entity from the Jeep. But as long as you sit in the Jeep, surrounded by others, you are safe because the lion sees all of us as one. Ladies and gentlemen, there is strength. There is protection. There is a covering when you stay in the church. Because the enemy can only see you as one entity. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. You are covered by the blood of the Lamb. He can't distinguish you as anything other than a member of the body of Christ. So I say to you today, there is power and authority as being a part of the herd, being a part of the flock, being a part of the church. Stay in the church. When you separate from the herd, 
you become vulnerable. So a tactic of the enemy, just like these lions, is to try to separate you from the herd. The lions will try to confuse those that are weak or those that are injured or those that are young and will go out and run a circle to try to separate the stragglers from the rest of the herd. This is what the enemy was trying to do to Elijah. Make him feel like he's all by himself. Try to isolate him and convince him that nobody else is serving God except him. I can remember feeling that way as a teenager going to public school at O'Galley High School and feeling like there was no other young person on the planet that was trying to serve God except me. Because everybody I knew was living life much different than I was. So I assumed I was the only one. That is a trick of the enemy to try to convince you you're the only one serving God. Oh no, my friend, God's got a church that's in the ground. If everybody on this planet quits serving God, God's already got a church. Hallelujah. And one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain until the rapture. God's going to have a people on this earth. God's going to have a church that's alive. God's going to have a church that remains. God's got a people. You're not by yourself. Oh, I've come to preach to somebody tonight. The enemy's tried to convince you you're all by yourself. The enemy's tried to convince you that nobody else cares about God. I've come to tell you that the devil is a liar and the father of all liars. Hallelujah. There are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee. There's a church all over this globe, hallelujah, that are having apostolic Pentecostal revival. I want to remind somebody here tonight that I don't know what you may be going through, but you are not alone. This is what they tried to do to our prisoners of war. In the war, whether it be Vietnam or Korea or World War One or two, try to isolate them and tell them that no one cared about them and that no one was coming for them to try to break their spirit and to isolate and to try to make you feel like you can't withstand the enemy because you're all alone. Don't let the enemy break your spirit and isolate you. You are a part of a triumphant church. It has gone through the fire and the fire couldn't burn it. It's been through the storm and the storm couldn't turn it. It's the church triumphant and it's built by the hand of the Lord. Any of y'all remember them old songs we used to sing? Oh, I think sometimes we got to be reminded. We're not just coming together as some symbol. We're not just coming together as some sort of a society or some sort of a social club. We are the redeemed. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Herd immunity 
is defined as a form of indirect protection from contagious diseases that occurs when a sufficient percentage of the population has become immune to an infection. When you get a certain number of people in the group that have already gone through it and they're still standing, there is herd immunity. That though I may be weak, if I get with my brothers and sisters that have gone through similar experiences, but they prayed their way out of it, they worshiped their way out of it, they kept on coming to church when they didn't feel like coming to church. Oh, when I get with my brothers and sisters, I may feel like I'm coming down with something. I may feel like I can't put my foot in front of the other and take another step. But oh, when I begin to sing the songs of Zion with the church of God, and I begin to lift my voice, I feel strength come. I know I'm using vernacular that's a part of this COVID-19 virus, but the principle that I'm preaching goes way beyond a virus. When I feel like I'm hurting, when you feel like you're hurting, get surrounded by God's people. You can feel the Holy Ghost over a hamburger at Denny's. If you'll get with people of God, that'll talk about how great God is. You can feel the Holy Ghost over a meal of chicken McNuggets that are not really chicken, I don't think. But it doesn't matter. Because when I get in the company of God's people, if the enemy's ever tried to convince you Now, you don't need to be a part of the church. I've seen the lions do that, try to disorient them and get them away from the herd because if they can get them away from the herd, they can take them down and have them for dinner. And the enemy, the Bible said, as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour, he's going to try to disorient you. He's going to try to tell you, oh, you don't need the church. Oh, then people don't care about you. Oh, you're more spiritual than He'll do whatever he can to disorient you. But you ought to tell the devil, I'm a part of the bride of Christ. I look into my Bible and I see where God is coming back for a church. Not an individual. He's coming for a church. He's coming for the bride of Christ. So you know what I got to do? I got to make up in my mind I'm going to be part of the bride. How can I be a part of the bride of Christ? How can you and I be a part of the church? Well, you got to stay surrounded by God's people. And even though you may be hurting... If you'll get in the company of God's people, you can get your joy back. I said, you get your joy back. When I get discouraged and I come to the house of God and and we begin to sing and worship, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter to me what they're singing or what note it's on or who's singing the solo. Woo! Just getting in the presence of God's people. 
Just getting under the covering of the Almighty. Just getting in the shadow of God. Hallelujah. Come on. Just getting up in the cleft of the rock. Oh, yes. You know why it's important to be a part of the herd? Because you know what happens? The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. Of his people, plural. That's when the Bible also said when two or three are gathered together. There I am in the midst of it. There's something powerful about gathering together and saying, Lord, uh, I want your blessings upon my family. I need your blessings upon my life. Uh, I need strength in my body. I need help. It doesn't matter what you're going through. When you get with God's people, there is a change in the atmosphere. There is a change in our attitude. There is a change in our spirit. We begin to see things differently. We recognize we're part of something more powerful. Psalms chapter 84 and verse 10 records this verse. Songs have been written about it. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. One day in your courts. Notice it says courts. I mean, they weren't even in the inner sanctum yet. It was just in the courts. But just one day in your courts is better than a thousand outside of your courts. <laughs> You know who were writing these psalms when we read about Psalms 84? These were the sons of Korah. They had been banned for ten generations from the temple because their forefathers had rebelled against Moses. And so the law was that for ten generations they would not be allowed to go into the tabernacle which then became the temple in Jerusalem. But David made them song leaders and brought them back to the house of God. And they said, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. They learned there's an immunity when you get in the herd, when you get in the flock, when you get in the church. There is strength that you can't measure with a microscope, that you can't put on the wall in a flow chart. I can't even explain it to you. All I can tell you is that one day in the house of God is better than a thousand days without the house of God. Oh, hallelujah. That's why they said, I was glad when they said it to me. Let us go into the house of the Lord. The herd is immune. The church is predestined. The devil can't destroy the church. He may be able to destroy you and I as individuals, but not the church. God is going to have a church. God is coming back for a church. It's built on a rock. It's solid. And I don't know if you've ever gone to the Grand Canyon. We were there a few weeks ago, and it's 
It's very surprising as you walk around. We were up on the north rim, but I've been to the south rim a number of years ago, and it's the same way on the south rim as it is on the north rim. It's very surprising to be able to walk around on all of these trails that are on these high cliffs with nothing but just a few feet between you and sudden death and wonder why there aren't more guardrails. Because if it was Disney World, there would be guardrails everywhere. Have you ever seen the way that the lifeguards at Disney hotels check the swimming pools to make sure nobody's on the bottom of the swimming pool? They stand there and they go up and down like this. They've got quadrants that they follow. They go back and forth looking at lines, measuring the pool back and forth. Not one, not two, not three, but as far as you can see all the way around. Do you know why they do that? Because they've been sued with kids drowning in their swimming pools. So they're like, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to drown in one of our swimming pools if we can help it. Guardrails everywhere. Lifeguards everywhere. But at the Grand Canyon, it's just like, be careful. And I'm walking around and I'm thinking, this would be a really good place for a guardrail. Or at least, at least a ranger to stand and say, danger, danger. He could be a danger ranger. Push everybody back. Not there. Then it hit me. I know why. Sovereign immunity. Yeah. The Grand Canyon is a national park. That means it's owned by the federal government. You can't sue the federal government for a tort claim. A personal injury claim. A wrongful death claim. You can't do it. Why? Because we adopted something from the old English common law. That's Latin, but the legal maxim basically means the king can do no wrong. Now, we obviously did not believe that because we had the American Revolutionary War. But then after we won, we adopted sovereign immunity from the king of England. Now that we got our own country, we like sovereign immunity. It means that you can't sue us. Now, the government doesn't want anybody to fall to their death in the Grand Canyon. But every year, a number of people do, and none of them can sue the government for a wrongful death action. So the government says, we're not going to spend a lot of money on handrails. Just be careful. Sovereign immunity. If the church has heard immunity... And according to scripture, we do. Not that we won't suffer or get sick like everybody else does. The Bible says, you know, it's on the righteous and the unrighteous. But in the end, we are victorious. 
Hallelujah. So I can tell you, as your pastor, I don't go to sleep every night worried about all of you. I say, God, it's your church. It was your church before I was here. It'll be your church after I'm here. (laughs) Because the enemy, who's always trying to build a case against you, he has no court that he can go to to make his case against you if you are in the church. I'd like to file a petition against Brother Calvin Jenkins. Sorry, he's in the church. He's been baptized in the name of Jesus. Case dismissed. I'd like to destroy Tim Ritchie. Sorry. He's in the church. And even though he missed six straight Sundays in a row. (laughs) You know why I'm having fun, don't you, with Brother Richie? It's usually me that's gone, and Brother Richie's just as steady as a Timex watch. I told my mom the other day, she was, she's always telling me that I'm gone too much and preaching this over there and preaching that over there. Well, every, every trip, every mission trip, we've had six mission trips all canceled this year. And so I have been keeping track since 19, uh, 2016, and I've got it all in my phone. And I was showing my mom, I said, in 2016, I missed 12 Sunday mornings. I missed four in a row when our family was in Africa. 2017... I missed nine Sunday mornings and three in a row when I was in Africa. The 2018 was seven Sunday mornings and 2019 was six Sunday mornings. And, and I went through all, I was going through all the numbers. And I said, since November of two, 2019, I've not missed one Sunday morning at East Wind. Thank you. I was so proud of myself. And I was telling my mom, and I thought she would be proud of me too. (laughs) Except my mother says, are you counting Wednesday nights and Sunday nights? (laughs) And I said, no, ma'am, this is just Sunday morning. She said, well, you count those. I guarantee that'll tell a different story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Boy, don't we have a great church. We have such a great church. But the enemy can't destroy Brother Jenkins, Brother Richie. can't destroy Pastor Myers. Why? Because we've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And so have you. I'm going to tell you something I've been feeling lately. And maybe this is just for all of you that uh, that are watching on the internet. People are saying, oh, after five, six, seven months, uh, those people that have been missing church, they're not going to come back to church. I say the devil is a liar. We're going to come back stronger than we've ever been before. We're not going to lose a step because this is God's church. 
and the devil can't pluck you out of the hand of the almighty God if you make up in your mind I may not be able to assemble but I'm still here I'm watching online I'm still worshiping I'm still glorifying God the enemy can't destroy the church On our own, we don't stand a chance. James 2 and verse 17 says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now think about this. Faith, as powerful as faith is, still doesn't survive alone. Faith without works is dead. Being alone. We're not going to survive alone. If faith can't survive, how are we going to survive? But we're not alone. (laughs) On our own, we're just dust. But in the herd, in the flock, in the church, we have immunity. Have you ever come out of a Holy Ghost power pack service and then immediately when you are home, and you're alone, you start getting hit with all the problems of life. I mean, it can be a rude awakening. And we have to just remember that we're not alone. We're part of something that is victorious. And I conclude tonight with sharing with you one more story from the Bible. Gives us another example of this principle. Of a king that wanted to do his own thing. 1 Kings chapter 12 is where we pick up the narrative. After Solomon had passed, the kingdom of Israel had grown to be under David and Solomon, his son, one of the most, if not the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Very blessed buildings. People came from all over just to see the hanging gardens of Solomon, all of the beautiful architecture work and all the, even the stables for the horses of Solomon was was a sight to behold and they would travel for weeks and weeks just to come and see it it was such a a blessed powerful land kingdom but after Solomon passed his son Rehoboam was made king and the people asked for lighter taxes and service you see Solomon had built a lot of magnificent buildings and because of that He had high taxes. And when his son was made king, the people were asking for some relief. And he told the people to give him three days to think about it. So he consulted with his father's advisors, who had been in those positions for a long time. And they recommended that he work with the people and that he would grant their requests. But then, even as we preached on Sunday, Rehoboam consulted with his young advisors, the young bucks that thought they knew everything. And they told him, you tell the people that you're more of a man than your father was. And you're going to be harder on the people than your father was. And they gave him a whole bunch of bad advice. And they just pumped his ego up and he took all of their advice. Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you one more time? I had no idea what Brother Aaron Bounds and Brother Josh Heron was going to preach Monday and Tuesday night. But it is amazing to me how much it has been in total concert with what we preach Sunday morning. 
we went on a media fast this week, not even knowing what all was going to come down. But God is saying, you've been getting the wrong counsel. You've got to look up. You've got to lift up your head. Come on. We don't get our marching orders from the culture of this world. We've got a Bible. We've got a God that directs our steps. And in his law, do we delight. But Rehoboam got bad advice. And wrong counsel will absolutely destroy you. Verse 13 of 1 Kings 12 says, And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I'll add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you, chastise you with scorpions. What in the world, Rehoboam? I mean, this magnificent empire under King David and Solomon, begins to unravel because of this spoiled brat of a son, Rehoboam, who's going to prove how macho he is, though he's never worked a day in his life. He immediately detached himself from wise counsel. And so here's what happens after he makes this decree. The kingdom is divided. And Judah stayed with Rehoboam, but the rest... They came under Jeroboam, made Jeroboam their king. And we pick it up in verse 19. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation, made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Judah alone stayed with Rehoboam and all the other tribes went with Jeroboam. And so everything begins to unravel. This great kingdom now begins to come apart. Israel rebels against the house of the lineage of David and war breaks out. And, and we pick it up in verse 21. And, and when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and four score, that's 80,000 chosen men. He's got 180,000 men army, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel. They got a major civil war. Rehoboam gets to the tribe of Judah. They're great warriors. That's the tribe David came out. And he says, we're going to go to war. And they were warriors. They're going to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam. But the word of God came into Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. There's times when you got to let God fight your battles. Don't feel like you got to fight every injustice. you got to say, Lord, I'm putting it in your hands. All I know is I want to stay a part of what God's kingdom is on this earth. I want to be a part of the church. He told them all, go home. They hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. So they did. They listened to the man of God. They said, okay, we can't have a war. God's going to work this out. We're all going home. Then Jeroboam, he's the king of the rest of the crowd. He built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. Now he gets worried. You see, I don't care how big your army is, you can't fight against the will of God. That's why the enemy's got a losing battle coming against the church. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, now he gets nervous. 
What if all the people that are under me are all going to go down to Jerusalem? Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. If they all go to Jerusalem to worship, I'm going to lose them. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel. Here we go again. More bad counsel. Let me just say this for what it's worth. Nine out of ten times, a decision you make out of fear is the wrong decision. I'm going to say that again because that's good wisdom for the rest of your life. Nine out of ten times, if you make a decision out of fear, you're usually making the wrong decision. Secondly, he makes a decision that's based on a selfish interest, not what's in the best interest of the nation of Israel. Wherefore the king council made two calves of gold and said to them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Oh, it's too far for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That was a lie. It wasn't false gods made with man's hand that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He made a lie. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin. You better believe it. If there's one thing you would think Israel would have learned by this point is, thou shalt worship no other gods. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 For the people went to worship before the one. They took convenience over doing that. That was the right thing to do. They went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people. Guess what the next thing he did was? It didn't matter that you were the tribe of Levi. I mean, when you start to violate the word of God, folks, it's a slippery slope. Where are you going to stop? Once he started making idols, guess what the next thing he did was? You don't have to be a Levite anymore to be a priest. You don't have to cleanse yourself to be a priest anymore. It don't matter who you are. Who's this guy? What's he done? Come on up here. We're going to make you a priest. He made a priest of the lowest of the people. Everybody now was a priest. It didn't matter who you were. You could get your priest license on the internet. He made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast, not a fast, a feast. In the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that's in Judah, and he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel. He starts going through the motions, pretending to have church, worshiping the wrong God, ordaining the wrong priests. Not following any biblical principles. Why? For selfish purposes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is exactly what has happened to the church in America. We have put convenience over character. And I'm going to tell you what's happening in this last day. Because God's getting ready to come back for a church. And there is a shakening that's happening. The Bible said everything that's going to be shaken is going to be shaken. And there is, a, there is a day of reckoning that's taking place. And God is looking at the church in America and saying, Are you in it for the right reasons? Or are you just going through the motions? Oh, I'm praying that East Wind Pentecostal Church is full of a bunch of people that say, Pastor, you can count on us. It doesn't matter if it's convenient or not. We will worship the only living God. And his name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He called Tarabosiah. 
would you stand to your feet all across this building? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, you got to make up your mind whose side are you on. Is there a group of people tonight that will say we're on the Lord's side? We're on the Lord's side. Nothing's going to pull me out of the church. Nothing's going to separate me from the church of the living God. Come on, it's time to go to Jerusalem. It's time to ascend unto the hill of the Lord. Would you lift up your hands and your voice all across this building? And would you shout with a voice of declaration? I shall not be moved. victory in the house of God. I feel deliverance in the house of God. There is healing in the house of God. We got a couple of minutes. You want to declare your allegiance to God's kingdom tonight by saying, I don't care what I may be going through. It may be troubles, it may be trials, it may be tribulations. But I'm not going to let anything extract me from the church of the living God. I wonder if you just step out from where you're standing and just come down to the front here. We're going to pray for a couple of minutes. But I feel like we need to do this in unity tonight. And I know that it may not be possible for everybody to get down here and to still have spacing and all, but... Even if you remain uh, in the pews or you come down a little bit closer, whatever you do, I just want us to pray together. And I want there to be solidarity in our commitment to say, God, you can count on me. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm going to keep myself under the shadow of the Almighty God. Nothing's going to pull me out of the church. Nothing's going to separate me from the church. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, Lord. That's it. Just use your voice and declare it. I'm here, God. I'm part of the church, Lord. You've allowed me, God, to be a part of the church. I'm ready to ascend the hill going up to Jerusalem. I'm ready to look through the eastern sky for my redemption draweth not. I'm asking God for divine protection upon the church. Keep us, Lord, according to your word. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's it. I'm making up my mind, oh God. I'm not going to let no spirit 
I'm not going to let no devil. I'm not going to let no circumstance pull me out of the church, Lord. There's protection in the herd. There's deliverance in the herd. There's salvation in the house of God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it. Make up your mind tonight. If I've sinned, I'm not going to stop coming. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. But I'm still going to be in the house of God. If I make a mistake, I'm still coming to the house of God. Come on, I can find mercy here. I can find grace to help in a time of need. I belong here, oh God. You've saved us. You've delivered us, oh God. You're coming back for a people, Lord, that's looking for your return. Lord, we refuse to become lackadaisical. We refuse to become nonchalant. I'm asking you, Lord, to give us a spirit of urgency. Give us a spirit of determination, oh God. I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Would you just pray one more prayer with me, then I'll let you go. I want us to pray. I feel a burden for backsliders, family members, people that used to come to church. I wonder right now if we could just pray for, maybe you know somebody that you're close to or you used to be close to or a family member or somebody that you want to pray for right now. I wonder all over this building, would you lift your hands and would you lift your voice? Lord, I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus Christ. For there to be a reuniting of the church. Lord, you've got an entire church that's outside that door. People that know what it's like to be in the presence of God. People that yearn and long to be in your house one more time. But maybe for fear, they've not come back. I'm asking God that every wall be broken down. I'm asking that every gate would open up. I pray that there be a harvest in these last days like we have never seen before. I ask God that there be a return of the redeemed. Let there be a return. Oh, Jesus! In the name of Jesus! Come on, if you're watching my home, why don't you begin to pray in your living room right now? In the name of Jesus, I pray for my son. I pray for my daughter. In the name of Jesus, let us work while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. Ilabo Sata Rabahaya. 
In the name of Jesus. bless you. Don't forget tomorrow night and Friday night, Saturday night, seven o'clock online. Then we'll be back here Sunday in live person services, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus name. Hallelujah.